I'd like for you to bow your heads with me as I kneel in prayer. Father in heaven, I cannot preach. I cannot inspire anybody. I'm just a child. And what I want to do is empty myself of myself. I seriously ask, Lord, that I could be possessed. That I want to be possessed by your Holy Spirit. And I want you to keep doing it, Lord, today and every day for the rest of my life. I love you, Lord. And I want you to work through us tonight. Work in us. Do things in our thinking and in our hearts. Do things through your indwelling presence that you have not done before. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> I want you to help me with the opening scripture. Zechariah 4, 6, just that little part. Remember? Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. Let's try it again, all together. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. How about this one? Little, little alteration. Not by money, not by numbers, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. Do you, do you think that one's a good translation as well? may not be a good translation, but it's a good explanation, isn't it? Not by money or numbers, but by my spirit, says the Lord. I learned another one. Not by dedication or determination, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Is it possible to be a lifelong, dedicated servant of the church and not be filled with the spirit of God? We know it's possible. Look at the church. I can speak. I can speak. I'm part of it. When I was a kid, we got some kids here? You wouldn't admit it, would you? I admit that I was a kid now when I was a teenager. Well, I wouldn't have admitted it then. When I was a teenager, we said, we are going to change things. Okay? The church has been dormant. It's been sick. But we're going to be dedicated, and we're going to change things. Now, things didn't change that much. Although since I was a teenager, the church grew from about a million and a half people to about 17 and a half million. So isn't that great? That's great. But who did that? <laughs> Boy, the Lord did something amazing. You know what? My generation didn't even emphasize missions that much. You know it's true. Make true confession here. We haven't even emphasized missions that much. We haven't even trained the young people to be missionaries. We have, in fact, downplayed the idea of sending missions over field, overseas and just thought we could use indigenous people from the countries that, that they were in. Except we have so many countries we haven't reached yet. Is that true? We, it is true. So I, I, I am sorry because we're leaving the work still not done. But the good news is if we'd have finished it, you never would have come along anyway. <laughs> so now you young people, you get a chance. And we are praying for you. It's not by might, and it's not by power. It's by my spirit. And I don't care how much energy you have, how much enthusiasm, folks. There is something that has been hidden from us by Satan himself. He does not want us to know what really makes it work. He hid it from me for years. I feel like my eyes are just opening up. Now, I can't say I didn't know it intellectually, but he hid it from me experientially. That's all it takes, right? How long has the truth been out there? Ever since Jesus was here. It's been out there. It's been available. But how many people have seen it? 
I'm talking tonight about the Spirit of Jesus. Ever heard that title before? I haven't. The Spirit of that's a different idea, isn't it? It's come to me recently. I really want to turn this so I can see it better. Last few months. As a very precious truth in a way that I hadn't seen it before. So dive in with me. The mysterious and eternal plan of God has at last been revealed. What is God's mysterious and eternal plan? Hmm. This was actually revealed 2,000 years ago. Strangely enough, though, very few people have caught on to it yet. It's waiting for us to catch on to it. What is it? You know what it is. Colossians 1.26. Even the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to the saints. Who wrote this? Paul wrote this. When is the now in Paul's writing? <laughs> it was about the 60s, wasn't it? A.D. And here we are in the 2010s. But, friends, this mystery, which has been revealed, which the Lord has opened wide, which the church could have had for 2,000 years, this mystery has been largely ignored. What is the mystery? You know what it is, don't you? Which is Christ in you. Christ in you. And now a lot of people, when they become Christians, they dedicate their life to Jesus and they say, from now on, I'm going to serve you. Not realizing that that is impossible. We can't do anything for Jesus. Jesus has to do everything for us. You see, the indwelling Jesus is the only possible supply and source of any good works. Is that true? Come on, do you know that or am I just, you're not sure of that? The indwelling Jesus is the only possible source of any good works. I, I see that you're, you're just kind of flummoxed by this. Boy, there's a word from the Jurassic period. Jesus is the only source of any good works. Am I telling the truth? Is this well known to this generation now? Do you all, have you all internalized this truth? You're sure of it? All right. We need Jesus to live in us, folks. I've known that forever. Into my heart, into my heart, come into my heart. Lord. How long have you known that? Forever, right? As long as you can remember anything, you've known that. <laughs> I am trying to find some people who know this experientially. Here at Army, I'm running into some. Thank God. It's beautiful. I know they're all over the world. It's just that they're such a minority. It's tragic. Among the people who call themselves Christians, the people who actually know that the hope, the only hope, is to have Jesus live in us. It's a small minority. Jesus said, and remember we talked about this the other night, if any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him. How many people can have Jesus come in? Anybody. Does this speak of people who have just committed a crime? Wow. Does this speak of poor people? Does this speak, speak of edu educated people and rich people? Yeah, anybody who hears his voice and opens the door, I will come into him. Would you want him to come into you? I remember the first time someone ever told me, you know, Jesus can come into you when I was an adult. And I, and I, was, uh, I was a Christian, but I thought, you know, actually, that sounds a little bit scary. No, I mean, Jesus is big and powerful, you know. If he comes inside of me, what's going to be left of me? Am I going to be overwhelmed? 
Is my poor little personality going to be completely taken over? Am I going to lose myself? Am I going to stop being me? And so I said to the friend who told me that, I'm kind of afraid of that. I might stop being me. And he looked at me, would that be bad? <laughs> he tried to explain it to me, and, and, and I kind of got it. And yet, for years, I have been trying to better comprehend this. Because, folks, this is it. This is the prescription that God gives to the Laodiceans. Has anybody here, is anybody here willing to admit that he's ever been a Laodicean at any point in his life? Uh, yeah, kind of cold, kind of lukewarm, kind of, yeah. Okay. His prescription is what? I'm knocking on the door. Just let me in. What's the answer? Jesus in you. What's the answer? Jesus in you. What's the whole answer? Jesus in you. Man, is it that simple, really? Why did I spend all those years in seminary? How much theological discussion we have gone into, how much debate, how many different angles we've put on sanctification and justification and all that stuff. Is it really just that? I will come into him? Could it be that simple? 2 Corinthians 1.20, For all the promises of God in him... In Jesus, for those who are in Jesus and have Jesus in them, all the promises of God are what? Yes. How many promises? Every single promise in the Bible is a yes. If you are in Jesus and Jesus is in you, man, is that really true? <laughs> I like that. In whom are hidden all the treasures. How many of the treasures? all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, and you are complete, where? In Him. Now see, I know people who, by the way, you might be confused. You just said He has to come into us, and now you're quoting scriptures about being in Him. I've studied this from both sides in the Bible. I can't see a difference. In fact, a lot of times, some scriptures actually put this together. I'm in Him and He's in me. It appears that they're kind of equivalents of each other. When I'm in Him, He's in me. When he's in me, I'm in him. So when you see scriptures that say in him, it's him and me, and I'm in him. Do you get the point? Yeah, because you can't just be halfway one way. I'm in him, but I'm not sure if he's in me. That doesn't work. Or he's in me, but I'm not sure if I'm in him. That doesn't work at all either. This is totally mutual. I am filled with Jesus, but you know what? Jesus is full of me too. Why would he even want that? Can you think of that? He's taken me into himself. Oh, I didn't even comprehend it, folks. I have to be honest, I don't comprehend it. I just know it's the answer. It's so awesome. Now, what does he say about the in him situation here? In him, we are what? Complete. Well, look, if he knocks on the door, and I open the door, and I let him in, and he's in me, and I'm in him, I'm complete. Can I really be complete that quick? Yes, I really can. Now, does that mean that there's nothing more for him to do? There is something more for me to do. I have to take my flesh nature completely away one of these days. I can't wait for that to happen. Um, he, 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 he needs to take, take over more fully. The problem of the in him situation is I've discovered, I want you to know this. This is a practical thing I'm sharing with you. In him is a growing process. In other words, you open the door and you say, I want you to come in completely. Only thing of it is you don't know what that means. See, so you've got this 40-room mansion that is your soul, you see, and you let him in, and you only let him into the vestibule. You thought you were letting him in. Well, I, you know, that's the house. After all, I opened the door. And so he comes in. But there's more in him. You see what I'm saying? 
There's more taking him in, more taking him in, more taking him in, more taking him in. It's such a beautiful process because the more he comes in, the more fully he reigns in your life. It's so beautiful because we're complete in him. Where are we complete? I love that. It's all done in Jesus. Did you know that we were created to be occupied by the life of God? Some people think that this is just an exigency of our sin problem. The way to overcome our sin is to have Jesus in us. You know what? He always wanted to live in us. He actually made us to be lived in. He didn't make us as independent beings. The angels are spirits themselves. God is a spirit. The angels are spirits. And I suppose he has some way of communicating with them, maybe even dwelling in them in some way that I'm not aware of. But they're quite independent in nature, the way they were made to be. But you and I were never, ever made to live without a spirit person in us. In fact, it was what Satan said to Eve. See, behind the scenes, he was luring her into thinking that she could be like God, that she wouldn't really need to have this inner controlling spiritual power within her, that she could be her own self, her own independent self. You know what I found? We consider maturity the process of overcoming the need for anybody else's involvement, right? When we're a baby, we need somebody to change our diapers, somebody to feed us, somebody to burp us, somebody to carry us, somebody to put us to bed, somebody to dress us, somebody to bathe us. And then we mature, and we need fewer and fewer of those things done for us. And finally, it's bye, Mom. I'm off to college. And Mom says, but, but aren't you going to need me anymore? I'm growing up now, Mom. That's maturity, right? But in Christianity, maturity is the very opposite. We start out independent and totally self-sufficient, and we become more and more and more babyish until finally when we're the absolute pinnacle of Christian maturity is when we can't do one thing by ourselves anymore. Isn't that awesome? We were never, ever meant to be independent creatures. Independence is a sin. Whoa. I'm not talking about spirit. I'm not talking about financial independence. That's not a sin. I'm not talking about, you know, being a grown-up person. That's not a sin. It's this independence from God that is a sin. It's the idea that I want to do it myself. Did you ever hear a kid telling his mommy? I heard one just the other day, you know, uh, there in the kitchen, and, and, and mommy's trying to, you know, help him with some project, and, and, and he can't do it, you know, and, 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 and the kid said, no, self, self. He doesn't want to help. He wants to do it by himself, right? Oh, boy. We start so early with that independence thing. Folks, didn't you know that you are the temple of God? Do you think that just started after we sinned? No, we were, we were created to be the temple of God. That's what God made us a unique kind of being that he could live in and through, that he could extend himself out in the universe through billions of creatures that would be his life and yet their own and interact with him, and he could see life through their eyes. God made us to see the world through our eyes, to see the universe through our eyes. Think how much fun it is, you know, when you have a child, a grandchild, and you can see what they're seeing, kind of, you know. And you start, you get a whole new view on life when they start reacting to things. It's so much fun, isn't it? You laugh at their insights, at what they see. Oh, I'm seeing life through my grandchild's eyes now. It's so much fun. You know, we're made in God's image. And the things that amuse us amuse God, too. And he likes to live through the human creature. He made us for that. It's fun for him. 
He made us each unique and special, and he anticipates a special and unique experience with each of us. We are each a treasure, an irreplaceable treasure to him. So he made us to be occupied. Here's the terrible, terrible problem of our human situation. When we kick God's spirit out, we leave an opening for another spirit. And we're quite helpless to keep that spirit from coming in. You remember the story Jesus told, don't you? The man was possessed, so he got, he got cleaned up. He got uh, delivered from the demon. And then the demon looked back and he saw the man was all cleaned up and fresh and empty. And so he came back with seven of his friends and the end was worse for that man, wasn't it? Because you see, empty is not an alternative. It's either God's spirit or demon spirit. Empty is not a choice for creatures like we are. We were never meant to be independent. We can't possibly be fully self-motivated. I told this to a bunch of teenagers a while ago, and they almost stoned me. <laughs> Literally, they were so mad at me. I said, don't you understand? You are dupes. You are totally doing whatever the world is doing. You are part of the general spirit. You are almost possessed, not in the sense of slobbering, you know, and breaking your chains, but you, you, you are all, you're just practically like possessed people. You are just marching along doing what the world wants you to do because you're under the control of another. Don't you see that? And you will be. Oh, no, we're doing our own thing. We're totally free. We're making our own choices. You are completely deceived. Human beings are not capable of any total freedom. The law of God is our freedom. Take my yoke upon you and you'll find that it's easy and it's light. But don't try to live without the yoke. Human freedom is a lie. Independence is a lie. We're made for God. You know, I'm so thankful that the God we were made for is fun. And, he's, and, and it's a good fit, and, and it's, it's, just, it's just right. You know what I mean? It's satisfying. It's healing. The God we were made for, when we let him possess us, I've actually started praying that prayer. Uh, I, I've started saying in the morning, Jesus, I, I, I'm trying to be totally open. I want you to help me with that. Just make sure I'm completely open because I, I give you permission to do that. And, and, and as soon as I'm open, as far as you can get me right now, I want you to possess me. What does this have to do with studying the Bible and giving Bible lessons and doing evangelism and all that? Everything. We cannot possibly be effective Bible students or Bible teachers unless we're possessed by the Spirit of God. But not a chance. Even if we have all the right words coming out, the wrong spirit will come out and it will lead people astray anyway. Won't it? Yeah. It's one spirit or the other. All right. I'm so glad you understand these things. Why is it then that people pray so little for the Holy Spirit? Maybe you pray for the Holy Spirit every day. I hope you do. We've been taught to, and, uh, and, I, and I find that I've been doing that more. And over the years, I've, I've done that quite a lot. But, but I have to admit that I have not prayed for the Spirit enough. How do I know I haven't prayed for the Spirit enough? Because the experience that's promised through the total filling of the Spirit has not yet been mine. 
I've experienced a lot of the Spirit, folks. I praise God. It's entirely by His grace because He should have never had anything to do with me. He should have walked away from me a long time ago. In fact, I proved something possible which seems impossible, and that is that a wicked person can have the Holy Spirit. Only thing of it is, because if the Holy Spirit didn't come into wicked people, it'd never be anything but wicked people. You know that, don't you? How else are we going to become unwicked, right? Think of it as wicked people, unless they let the Spirit change them, they don't really want to keep the Spirit, and so He goes away again. And so most Christians have the seesaw experience where the Spirit coming in, and the Spirit going out, and the Spirit coming in, and the Spirit going out. And it's like when I was a kid, and I was running in and out of the door, slamming the screen door, running in and out, slamming the screen door, and my mother said, would you just stay in or stay out? I don't think God gets that impatient with us. But he sure wishes we just let him stay in, doesn't he? He sure wishes we just let him stay in. Oh, folks. And you see, we, we receive these dribs and drabs of the Spirit. We receive these, you know, mercy drops, the hymn says, you know. And, and, and we're satisfied because, hey, it doesn't take very much of the Spirit to make us feel pretty good. You know? It doesn't take very much. To make us feel pretty good. Say, oh, wasn't that an exciting, wonderful Sabbath? Oh, I just feel so refreshed and everything. I wonder what's on TV tonight. <laughs> and, isn't that exactly what happens? And, and so then we're, we're, we're back to, to, to sending the Spirit packing again. The, the problem is we haven't ever received enough of the Spirit at once to where we got a big enough dosage to where we said, hey... This is an irreplaceable experience. I've got to have this all the time now. Now, folks, this is beginning to happen. And when I say we haven't, I'm speaking quite, quite broadly, quite collectively. I know there are some among you here who really are becoming quite spirit-filled. I thank God for that. Do we have room for growth? Oh, do we have room for growth? Has the latter rain happened yet? You know, I keep hearing people say, hey, well, there are 35,000 baptisms over in this place or that place. It must be the latter rain. No, 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 no. The latter rain is Revelation 18 and a megaphone that blasts through the whole world and illuminates the entire earth and Jesus himself calls all his children out of Babylon. No, no. Folks, the latter rain really is coming when God's people really do want it. You know why? Because it's a possession. It's a possession by the Spirit. And even though the devil is always ready to possess you at the drop of a hat and you never have to give him any permission, he just blasts in, God won't do that. God waits to see if we really want to be possessed by his Spirit. Isn't that the truth? You see? Otherwise, he could be accused of being a divine rapist. He will not take advantage of us. He values our will, our own will. And he insists that we really make it clear to him that we want his spirit to possess us. And so the only possible reason why we haven't had as much as we've wanted is because we haven't wanted as much as we thought we did. Is that true? Do you, do you understand the logic there? The only possible reason we haven't had as much. So I, I've, been, I've been wondering why don't people pray more earnestly for the spirit? I was, giving a, I was giving a series of sermons on the Holy Spirit one time, and I got through about sermon number three or four, and I quit. And, and later on, I chastened myself, and I said, that was really bad. Why did you do that? But as I, as, as I analyzed my emotions, I realized that the deeper I got into the Spirit, Holy Spirit doctrine, I, I, was, becoming, I was becoming scared. I, I was realizing this involved a complete takeover. 
Are you with me? I didn't say a complete makeover. That happens too. But it's, it's scarier than that. It's a complete, make, it's a complete takeover. You see, I, I used to think that surrender meant I think of the things that I know God doesn't like in my life and I just really work up the courage to surrender them. That's not surrender. That's, that's, surrender is surrendering yourself to the takeover of the Holy Spirit. Surrendering your will to be replaced by His. That's what surrender is. All these little things that people, oh, I surrendered, well, I surrendered 10 things this week. Wow, am I making progress? Bet you anything, in three weeks, those 10 things will be back. Surrender yourself. Is that true? You folks are so quiet tonight. I don't know if I'm scaring you. Or you. you know, some congregations say amen once in a while when they agree with something. Do you know that's even, that's biblical too, isn't it? Isn't it biblical? That we're supposed to say amen in church? Yeah. All right, ignorance could be one reason why people don't pray much for the Spirit, obviously, because they don't even know about it. You know, nobody's taught them. They haven't heard about the Spirit. Of course, there's another reason. The Spirit seems impersonal, and I want to I I talk about that one tonight more. You know, the Spirit, what is the Spirit? Who knows what the Spirit is? What does the Spirit look like? Is it a dove? Is it a, is it a flame? Is it a, a still, small voice? Is it, a, is it water? Is it oil? What, what is the Holy Spirit? What does the Spirit look like? And, and the Spirit seems like just kind of an impersonal force to us. And most people, when they say, I know I need the Spirit, they're thinking of, I need power. Wait a minute, the Spirit is a person. But we, but we, don't, we don't relate to the Spirit as a person very much. Is that true? We, we, we're thinking more of, oh, I know I need the Spirit because I need power. Or I need more, you know, more force somehow in my work. So the Spirit may seem impersonal, may not seem, you don't know how to ask for the Spirit or what you're really asking for. That could be. Then there's a fear of what will happen if you get filled. <laughs> I really think, friends, I have worked with Seventh-day Adventists now for more than three decades, and I think Seventh-day Adventists are afraid of the Holy Spirit. You know? They think the Holy Spirit's going to make me do something embarrassing. You know what the good news is? If the Holy Spirit makes you do it, it won't be embarrassing at all. <laughs> You'll enjoy every minute of it. See, because the Holy Spirit will be making you do it. See, the Holy Spirit will be in you, controlling you, possessing you, and you'll enjoy every minute of it, I guarantee. So that's a stupid thing to be afraid of. Nevertheless, we are afraid of it. If I'm fully possessed by the Holy Spirit, He might make me go out and preach somewhere. <laughs> Wouldn't it be great if I really wanted to go out and preach somewhere, and I was really equipped to go out and preach somewhere? But no, that's not what they're thinking. He might make me go out and preach, or He might make me go to door to door, or He might make, make me give Bible studies, or He might make me stand up in church and give my testimony or something. I can't be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's scary. Huh? No, it's the most fabulous thing in the world. You see, once he takes over, fear is gone. Your whole personality is transformed. You go from being Mr. Shy to being Mr. Don't hold me back. Doesn't that sound like fun, really? Come on. So, praying for power instead of a person, of course, is part of the problem, too. It's the wrong kind of prayer. I'm not saying it's any sin to pray for power, but come on, wouldn't you be offended if somebody called you up and said, uh, and they didn't even call you by name, you know, and they just said, you know, I really, really want you to come over because I need to borrow your truck. By the way, that happens. Um, the, the Holy Spirit really wants us to identify Him, but there's another person He's more interested in having us identify, which we'll see in just a minute. 
Some people may think only those involved in evangelism really need to be filled with the Spirit. Well, there's two sides to that thing. Number one, everybody who gets filled with the Spirit ends up getting involved in evangelism. <laughs> Number two, even those who aren't involved in evangelism desperately need the Spirit because they're not involved in evangelism. <laughs> so everybody needs to be filled with the Spirit, amen? amen? Of course, of course. All right. For God has not given us a spirit of fear. Not given us what kind of spirit? But of power and of love and of a sound mind. This is so good. There's no reason to be afraid of the Holy Spirit. First of all, the Spirit is not scary. It says so right there. Secondly, the Spirit is powerful. Yay, we can use more of that. But He's also love. What is the Spirit's power? Come on, what is the Spirit's power? It's right there in front of us. Hint, it's on the third line. The Spirit's power is love. What is God's power? Love. What is Jesus' power? Love. What's the Spirit's power? Love. What's the power by which He transforms your life? Love. What's the power by which He makes you want to win souls? Love. Come on, folks. You know this is true. The Spirit is love and also a sound mind. He is not going to make you act crazy. Of course, there will be some people who will think you're crazy because you're now willing to give more time and energy to God's work. But you won't be crazy at all. You'll have the, you'll have the soundest mind you have ever had. You know, one of the ways of telling the false spirit... The false spirit really does make people crazy. You know what I'm convinced of? I'm convinced that after 6,000 years of going nuts on this planet, that Satan and all his demons are insane. I really am. It doesn't mean they've lost all their intelligence. They're quite witty and quite sharp, but I really believe they're insane with anger, hatred, lust, jealousy, infighting. You know, I believe that nothing can keep them from fighting in that place that they live in that the Bible calls the pit. And that's why they're so anxious to get out of it and possess you. And look at how many people who are fully possessed are crazy. So when, when the evil spirit possesses, you become insane. A little bit insane and a little bit more insane and a little bit more insane. Because you start believing things that are irrational like, alcohol really helps me. You see? Insanity is irrationality, right? And so as soon as you receive any of the wrong spirits, you become a little bit insane. And the more you go with it and the deeper you go into it, the more insane you become because the spirits are insane that are possessing you. But God's spirit gives you total mental balance. I love it. I love it. You know what? It says a sound mind there. It's not just talking about your sanity. You actually become smarter when the Holy Spirit comes into you. You actually think better. You know what, I've been experimenting with something, and I, I, I open myself up, and I say, Jesus, just take possession of me as much as possible. I'm trying to let you everywhere. I don't know if I am yet, but I'm trying really hard. Just take full possession. And, and, and when he does that, and then I say, now, Lord, I'm going to work on this project. It can be anything. It can be repairing my car. It can be cleaning my garage. It can be developing a sermon. I'm going to work on this project, and I want your spirit to work with me through this whole process. Do you know... This is just anecdotal evidence, I know, but folks, this is my truth. This spirit-filled living cuts your frustrated effort in half or third. Oh, it's awesome. Everything lines up, everything makes sense, everything works. I, I, it's, it's awesome. I go around all day saying, Jesus, that was so much fun. Thank you. Man, you are wonderful to have for a brain partner. <laughs> I love this. All right, so don't be afraid of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen? And I will pray the Father. Now here, you see, here, I want to talk about this question of the, of the Spirit as an impersonal being because 
I want you to see how Jesus kind of gets around this. I will pray the Father, he shall give you another what? Comforter. So what is the Spirit then? Whoops, I went too far. All right, the Spirit is a comforter. Anybody afraid of a comforter? Anybody ever need any comforting? <laughs> the Spirit is a comforter. Who's going to be afraid of a comforter? Does that make sense? Do you want to be filled with a comforter? Hey, think, think about this. What if you were filled with a comforter? What kind of person would you be then? A comforter. You would go around everywhere affirming people, interested in people, building people up, edifying people, as the Bible says, giving people hope, giving them encouragement, telling them there's a devil that's condemning them, and Jesus is on their side, and he can save them from anything. Wouldn't you? You'd be a comforter. I want to be a comforter. My wife really wants me to be a comforter. <laughs> All right. And he, and he may abide with you forever, even the spirit of truth. He's also the spirit of truth. Wish we had time to develop that, but we don't. Whom the world cannot receive because it sees him not, neither knows him, but you know him. For he dwells with you. He's talking to his disciples now, isn't he? Folks, we do know the spirit. Anybody who's been baptized knows the spirit. He dwells with you, but what does he want to do? And shall be where? In you. See, you wouldn't even come to the Lord. You wouldn't have repented. You wouldn't have confessed your sins if the Spirit wasn't dwelling with you. That He wants to be in you. He wants to possess you. You know what? I don't have a clue why He wants to be in me. I really don't. He should really reject me but he wants to be in me. Amen? And then notice what Jesus says. I will not leave you comfortless. The word in the Greek is, I will not leave you orphans. It's actually literally the Greek word is orphan. You can read it in the Greek. That's a Greek word you can actually read. Orphan. It says, sounds just the same in the Greek. I will not leave you orphans. So see, Jesus is, is quelling our fear. He, he, Jesus left the disciples... They knew they liked him. They knew that he was the son of God. They knew they liked his divine presence with him. They knew they enjoyed everything about him. They were miserable that he was leaving them. He says, well, guess what? I'll send you another comforter. I mean, it's just like if somebody says, I'll, I'm going, but I'll leave the babysitter to watch you, you know. Who wants the babysitter? We want you, Jesus. Can't you see how they must have felt? And then he said, but I won't leave you orphans. I will come to you. Well, how are you going to come to me? Ah, that's the whole point. The Holy Spirit is Jesus' avenue into your heart. See, you know you want Jesus living in you, right? How's he going to get in you? Through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit brings Jesus. That's, that's, what, that's the personality. The Holy Spirit doesn't think of himself, remember? John 14, 15, 16. The Holy Spirit doesn't talk about himself. He doesn't, he doesn't act out of himself. He doesn't say his own stuff. He just represents Jesus. And he's just the carrier for Jesus. It's not. It's just, it's just because that's the way they've worked it out. And the Holy Spirit wants to be the background person. He doesn't want to be noticed. But he wants Jesus to get all the notice. And he wants you to realize that it's Jesus who is filling you. The one who lived on earth. The one who lived in the flesh. The one who faced every temptation you'll ever face. The one who overcame everything. The one who proved that love conquers hate. The Holy Spirit puts Jesus inside of you. Isn't that good news? See? So I will come to you, he says. And here's another one about Jesus. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of who? 
his son into your heart. What spirit? The spirit of his son, Jesus. Whoops, I went way away from that again too quickly. And that spirit, when he comes inside of us, cries, you know what this is in Aramaic, don't you? Daddy, this is daddy, father. No, it really is, it's, a, it's, a, it's an affectionate term. So the spirit comes into you because it's Jesus' spirit, really, and because it's really bringing Jesus. The spirit brings into you Jesus' feelings for the heavenly father. Would you like to feel like Jesus does toward the heavenly father? And the spirit brings into you all of Jesus' experience, all of Jesus' power. Oh, folks, that's the power. I don't want just some nameless power, the force be with you, you know. I want the power of Jesus, don't you? The love power that Jesus worked out in this world. That's what I want. And that's exactly what we get through the Holy Spirit. But you are not in the flesh, but you're in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, here we have the Spirit, and we have the Spirit of God. And now, if any man have not the Spirit of whom? Christ, he is not of his. So the Spirit is the Spirit of God and the Spirit of Christ. And so he says that if we don't have the Spirit of Christ in us, then we don't actually belong to him. So he asks us to evaluate that and check that in our experience. Well, folks, I know that every one of you have the Spirit or you wouldn't be here. But I also know that every one of you wants a lot more. And I also know that every one of you acknowledges that you need a lot more. No one is prepared to educate and strengthen the church unless he is endowed by the Holy Spirit. And now look how she equates this next thing with being endowed by the Holy Spirit. Unless he is feeding on Christ. What is being endowed with the Holy Spirit? Feeding on Christ. Wow. So, you don't have to be confused. You can pray for Jesus to live in you, and the Holy Spirit's going to do that. Or you can pray for the Holy Spirit to live in you, and He's going to bring Jesus. See, it's real simple. Don't have to be complicated. Whether you pray for the Holy Spirit to live in you, you get Jesus. Whether you pray for Jesus to live in you, you get the Holy Spirit bringing Jesus. Does that make sense? Isn't that wonderful? See, God makes it so that it's foolproof, and it's a good thing. All right. Our usefulness to God is proportional. This is my statement. See if you agree with it. To our occupation by the life of Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit. Did you get that? Let's try that again. Our usefulness to God is proportional to our occupation by the life of Jesus Christ. Through the Holy Spirit. Wow. You want to be 100% useful? Then you need to be 100% occupied, don't you? Oh, that's what I'm seeking, Jesus. That's what I want. Take every resistance out of me. Is that your prayer too? Yes. Most of our fathers, that's our our spiritual forefathers, did not understand their need of the indwelling spirit. Although God had promised to change them by living in them. Remember the promise that he made? A new heart also will I give you and a new spirit will I put within you. I'll put my spirit within you and I will cause you to walk in my statutes and you should keep my judgments and do them. What spirit was he going to put in them? His spirit. And what would be the result of that? They would walk according to his laws, wouldn't they? As they would have his spirit in them. Well, 
Jesus came and did all that and gave us that wonderful life that we can be filled with. And so Jesus says, I in them, remember he's talking to his father here, so he's talking about us, and he says to his father, this is what I want. I want to be in them, and I want you to be in me, so that they may be perfected in unity. Now, folks, this is one of the most wonderful byproducts of being filled with the Spirit. If you're filled with the Spirit of Jesus, and if I'm filled with the Spirit of Jesus, guess what? We get along really good. <laughs> you can always tell churches that don't have the Holy Spirit in them because they're fighting among themselves. That's true. And they're sensitive, and they're touchy, and they're irritable, and they're grouchy, and they're turf protective, and on and on and on. And that church is a church of Jesus Christ in name only. Because it does not have the spirit of Jesus. Because if they did, they would get along really well. And they would love each other to death. Oh, folks, remember what the church like, looked like when it was filled with the spirit? No man counted anything as being his own, and they got together for meals, of social meals every day, and they had long prayer meetings, and, and people were liberated out of prison, and people were healed every day, and the church grew every day. They had to go on down to that river and baptize people every day. Can you imagine that? That's what the church is going to be again. It is going to be that again. And it will be made up only of people who want to be filled with the Spirit. Is that you? Real Christianity is Jesus living in us. Would you agree to that now? Jesus in you is love in you. Because God is love and those who live in love live in union with God. And God lives in union with them. I'm just quoting right out of the Bible here. Love is made, per <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> love is made perfect in us in order that we may have courage on the judgment day. So when God lives in us, we're not afraid of the judgment. Now, you might say, okay, that's because I know God loves me so much that he would never, he would never judge me negatively, negatively. Is that what that's saying? No, 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 no. Love is made perfect in us in order that we may have courage on the judgment day because this is what love does. Don't ever be afraid to preach love, folks, because this is what love does. We will have it, that is, courage on the judgment day, because our life in this world is the same as Christ's. Wow. What does love do? It makes our life in this world the same as the life of Jesus Christ. I have found by reading 1 John chapter 2 that abiding in Christ and having him live in you is the preparation for the end times. Read it for yourself and find out. I have found out that the book of 1 John is the guidebook to how to be sealed by the Holy Spirit and ready for Jesus to come. Study the book of 1 John. Study it deeply. Do not just read it. Ask every verse to speak to you by the power of the Spirit and you will discover how you can be made fully ready for the outpouring of the latter rain. We are able to live victoriously by letting Jesus live his life in us. That's actually the only possible way, isn't it? This is so awesome, folks. Let me just give you a practical illustration. First of all, you've got to start out the day right by letting Jesus live in you. You've got to say at the beginning of the day, that first hour of the day, don't wait, because if you wait, it's too late, and the devil will have you, and he'll not let you get a chance to later. The first hour has to be, how many of you agree with me, it has to be the first hour? <clears throat> You've already tried that. You know it's the truth. 
All right. But in that first hour, you don't just have a devotional and you read a book. No, 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 no. You specifically seek the filling of the Holy Spirit, and you specifically seek an experience with the love of God in which your heart is touched and broken. And you specifically say, take me, possess me, own me, replace me with yourself. Then as you go on through the day, the Holy Spirit's in you. So he keeps reminding you of anything that comes to, 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 to track you away from God, see? You still may fall sometimes because you're not instantly perfect when you begin this process. But even if you fall, you're not discouraged because the Holy Spirit is still right there with you. And he says, you know, I wrote this to you, little children, so you wouldn't sin. But if you sin, you have an advocate with the Father. Would you let me in again? Some people say, I can't let Jesus in now. I've sinned. I've sinned so horribly. I've got to at least do penance for a few weeks, you know. You know what Jesus says to everybody? I stand at the door and knock. You know what that means? He's never any further away from you than the thickness of a door. That's pretty good, isn't it? And he will come in as soon as you open. Didn't he say that? Just open. I'll come in. And so here's the beautiful prayer that you can pray all through the day. Whenever anything comes along where you become conscious that your mind is no longer in track with the Lord's mind, you can say this. Dear God, in the name of Jesus Christ, I give you permission to replace my thoughts about this or my feelings about that with yours right now. Do you know what he does? He instantly replaces your thoughts with his and your feelings with his. Instantly. That doesn't mean you can't get your old thoughts back again later. You can. Remember that God is very reluctant to possess you. He keeps making checking on you to see if you still want me. Do you still want me? Do you still want me? Do you still want me? You see, he's adding up all those times that we said, yes, I want you. Yes, I do. Come, come back. Come fully. Take me. He's adding up all those times in the record book because there's going to come a day when he's going to say, you know, in the heavenly judgment, you know, according to this guy's record, he has been consistently saying, I want you to possess me. He's been letting me in over and over and again. Why don't we just possess him permanently now? Let's just seal him. Let's just mark him with the Father's name. Oh, I can't wait for that day. Amen. Oh, I can't wait for that day. That's coming, folks. Now unto him that is able to exceedingly, abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works where? In us. Unto him be glory. <laughs> for it is God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. I used to really dread heaven. Because I thought, you know, what if I get to heaven and... I'm not satisfied with the place that the Lord has given me. Well, I mean, I, I might be jealous of my next neighbor, you know. He might have seven turrets on his house, and I might only have six on mine, you know. What if that happens? You know, praise God. He works in us through the Holy Spirit. Whoops, I keep doing that. He works in us through the Holy Spirit, both to will and to do. In other words, the Holy Spirit doesn't just come into you and make you do a bunch of stuff you don't want to do. He comes into you and makes you want to do everything that he's going to have you do. Isn't that great news? I love that. And you know, the word will, we could actually replace it with the word desire. That means that the Lord comes in you and changes all of your desires as he changes your behavior. Isn't that beautiful? Oh, I love that. He's not just taking away that bottle from you and making you go on forever saying, I'm an alcoholic and please help me not to drink. No. He's taking away the desire. That's what the Holy Spirit can do. Shall we let him do that? Yes. yes. Do not harm the earth nor the seed or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. Until we shall seal. I've got a different translation here. 
Folks, I believe that we are living in the age of the filling of the Holy Spirit. I believe it's now. You know, he says, don't let those winds blow. Hold it back. Don't let the earth be harmed. Don't let the sea be harmed. Don't let the trees be harmed. You can look all that. That's all symbolic in the book of Revelation. You can study that through your symbols, symbols in the Bible. But basically it's this. Don't let the big troubles come until we have sealed the servants of our God in their forehead. Now, you've done the sealing study, haven't you? You know we're sealed by the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 4, Philippians, uh, 2 Corinthians. You know all that. And you know that the sealing puts the law of God in us and so heart and mind and so forth. You know all that, right? You know what the sealing is. You know that it's the name of the Father in our foreheads which gives us his character. You know all that. You know that once people are sealed, they become faultless before the throne of God. Does that sound of interest to anybody? Yeah, Revelation chapter 14. All right, so folks... When does the sealing take place? Before the troubles come. Does anybody besides me think that the troubles are very close? So what does that probably mean? The Lord is trying to tell us how to be sealed. He's trying to open up to our hearts and minds, saying, let me seal you. Whoa, that is so precious. I just get goosebumps thinking about it, don't you? God wants me, wretched, fickle, wicked me, to be sealed. And not only that, he's inviting me, and only that, he's actually using me to invite you. I love it. I'm so, it's just the most thrilling thing in the world. Folks, Jesus really is coming soon. But before he comes, he is going to seal his people and he's going to give the loud cry, and he's going to bring in millions and millions, and he is going to triumph. The gospel is going to triumph. And Satan is going to be trembling with all the conversions that Jesus is going to have. And he's going to see this power coming from the east, and he is going to decide that he cannot allow this. Boy, I tell you what, I want to be a good enough man to have Satan really scared of me. That'll only happen if Jesus lives in me by the Holy Spirit. Amen? Jesus, live in me. You are of God, little children, and you have overcome them because he who is in you is what? Greater than he who is in the world. Let's make sure that's true. Too many days we've had the same person in us that the world had in it. Am I telling the truth? Now let's make sure that that's not the case anymore. He who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. That's what he's offering to be and do for us. So we need to be confident tonight, dear friends, of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in us, where? In us. Will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. There's one caveat to that verse. I've discovered this from experience and other scriptures which we've studied tonight, and many, many more. The caveat to that verse is he will perform it until the day of his coming if we steadfastly ask him to. If we steadfastly open our hearts to the Holy Spirit's filling. If we steadfastly say every day and every hour as often as he reminds us to, Jesus, possess me again. Replace my thoughts and feelings with yours again. Jesus, I love you. By the way, did you know that we have a circuit in our brains that the more often we say something, the more we mean it? It's the truth. That's why it's so dangerous to say, I love the world. <gasps> the more you say it, the more you mean it. The more you say, Jesus, I love you, the more you love him. 
The more you say, Jesus, I want you to take over my life, the more you do want him to take over your life. The more you say, Jesus, I know you are taking over my life, and I know you're doing everything perfect for me because you have decided to save me, the more you believe it, and the more faith you have, then the more powerful the working of God is in your life. It's a spiral upward. Let your mouths be filled with praise and with the right words because the right words produce the right thoughts and feelings and the Holy Spirit can take over and your faith will grow and blossom. Are you ready tonight to pray for the filling of the Holy Spirit? You really mean it? I think you guys came to Army because that's exactly what you wanted. I really do. You want to be empowered by Jesus Christ, not just by some nameless force. You want the love of Jesus Christ to be the power that motivates your every thought and action. You now know that you will be radiantly happy, filled with joy even, when the Spirit is really in charge in your life. You know there's nothing to dread, nothing to fear, that He loves you so much that He will always act in your best interest while He's acting in His best interest. You really believe tonight, don't you? I thank God. We're going to end this sermon for the sake of the cameras soon. And then we're going to take time to pray together. I would like for you to consider now, as the Holy Spirit is talking to you, as I know He is, Consider what you need to say to him. Very many times we have been told that we need to surrender a lot of things out of our lives in order to make room for the Holy Spirit. You know, that's, that is true in a sense, but I'm going to tell you something. There are things in our lives that we don't have the ability to let go of. And it's only if the Holy Spirit will come in and drive those things out of us, like Paul says in Galatians, overcoming evil with his good. It's only if the Spirit will come in and drive those things out of us that we're going to be able to be free and open and have the total possession of the Spirit. Do you hear what I'm saying? So I think most of us probably need to say tonight, Lord, I'm giving you permission to come in and take over completely. I, don't, I want you to take out all that garbage. I've tried to get rid of it before. I know I don't have the power to let go of it. But I know that if I just let your spirit come in fully, you can and will rid me of this stuff, Lord. Make this my habit, starting now to give you permission more and more often, more and more consistently, more and more fully, so that in a very short time... There will be room enough inside of me for you to be in control of everything. Is that what you want to pray? That's what I am praying, and God is changing my life from one day to the next. And I ask you to pray that with me in a minute. Let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, oh, Father in heaven, thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you so much that Jesus has done it all. Everything is in him, and that now through the Holy Spirit we can possess Jesus and he can possess us. Father in heaven, we are so poor in spirit, and that is why we are blessed. <laughs> because we recognize it and we want you, and we want to be rich in spirit. Father in heaven, you have seen our wretched hearts. You know better than we do how messed up we are, and you still want in. So we are now tonight going to let you in. Thank you, dear Father, in Jesus' name, amen.